Well, good morning again, church. It is good to be with you. I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to study God's Word together. I'm thankful that you're here. I hope you've been encouraged already in our time of worship. I want to take just a moment uh, before we, we jump into the sermon and uh, recognize uh, a new sister that has asked to be a, you know, wants to be recognized as a part of our church family. She's sitting right here beside Leanna Patterson. Her name is Danielle Snyder. She has a son named Jackson. Danielle, you know, raise your hand and stand up there. Let's welcome her. We're going to pray for Danielle in just a minute. Uh, and so if, if you want to be standing with me and if you're near her or want to go near her, you can uh, put your hand on her. Uh, but I want to also mention, uh, we came to know Danielle, she came to know about our church family through Sunshine School. Her son Jackson's in Sunshine School, and so you can ask her to tell you more of the details of the story. But I know Jackson came home talking about Sunshine School, talking about wanting to be a part of a, a church, and so Danielle said, all right, we'll do it. And so they came, and, uh, and so we're honored to, to begin to journey with you, Danielle, excited about your desire to be a part of this church family. So if you would stand with me, and if some of you go around Danielle, we're going to pray for her. I also, if you were not here last week, we welcomed Jason and Aaron Davis and their family. So this is it's a good thing. Two families we're welcoming in back-to-back weeks, um, and we're excited about what God is doing among us. So let's pray together as we begin our, worship, our sermon time this morning. Father, we, we thank you again for this time. Uh, we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather together today and to, to celebrate all that you have done and all that you're doing in our lives. This morning, Father, we, uh, we welcome our sister Danielle, and we're thankful for her desire to join us on the journey as a church family. We pray for her and for her family. We're thankful to, to get to know her and to begin uh, to hear more about her story, and thankful, Father, for the way that you worked in uh, her son Jackson's life to begin to stir up in her a desire to be a part of a church family. And uh, we celebrate that today, Father, and recognize uh, your goodness in that. And so we ask God as we, uh, as we now open your, your word and study together that you will uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear. That through the studying of uh, the story of Paul this morning, that like him, our strength will be renewed. That uh, we will be encouraged to live uh, the life that you have laid out for us, that we've been invited to because of what happened at the cross and through Christ's death and resurrection. We thank you for this good news that we are here today to remember and celebrate, and we pray uh, your blessing upon each person here. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. I, I want to just say, too, as, we're, as you guys are having a seat, I know that that last song that we just sang, Heaven Came Down, is probably it's one that a lot of us haven't sung in a long time. Uh, the, the words are a little bit older, but I hope you were listening. You know, we don't talk about the grace that God did proffer very often. I don't know if I've ever used that phrase outside of that song, but there's a lot of truth in what we just sang about, that heaven came down to earth and that it has come to live inside of us to give us life. Amen? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're in a series we're calling Alive that we started just a couple of weeks ago on Easter Sunday. And on Easter, we looked at the resurrection story, and we, we are continuing to kind of linger around and sit around the empty tomb, thinking not, not about the resurrection story that we looked at on Easter, but now how that resurrection story changed the lives of other people. Last week, we looked at the story of Peter's resurrection, his, 
his journey with Jesus. And today we're going to look at Paul's resurrection story. And I, and I should put resurrection probably in quotes. Uh, hopefully you kind of hear that as I'm saying it. Uh, these guys didn't die physically necessarily and were, were raised back to life, but they did die in some ways and were raised back to life. And so that's kind of what we're looking at. We're going to be in Acts chapter 9. And we're going to jump in, but before we get to Acts 9, I need to do a little bit of background before we read what we're going to kind of the main section of Scripture we're going to look at this morning. And that we need to kind of go back to Acts, end of Acts chapter 7, beginning of Acts chapter 8. And in those, in those chapters, there's a man named Stephen. And Stephen preaches a sermon, and I'm not going to go back through the whole thing, but you just need to know that this sermon that he preaches costs him his life. The Sanhedrin, which was a group of people that were made up, it was the high priest and it was some of the other religious leaders that were a part of this group that uh, the Bible word, the Jewish word that it gets used is the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin kills Stephen for preaching this sermon. They stone him to death. Any ancient art pictures, by the way, that you see of Stephen always have a stone like resting on his head. So that you know when you look at this picture of this, this person that people have depicted through the years, that you remember how he died, right? He wasn't just a guy that lived, that believed in Jesus. He died and lived and believed in Jesus, and he, he was killed for it. And so he started saying things in his sermon, the, the reason that he got killed, because he was saying things like, God's place is bigger than the temple. And, and for us, you know, as Gentile Christians here living in 2022, like that doesn't mean much to us. It may not seem like a big deal, but to them, the temple was everything. And you didn't speak out against the temple. What was even more radical than Stephen saying that God is bigger than the temple, God's place is bigger than the temple, he doesn't just operate in the temple, was that Stephen started suggesting that God loved more than just the Jews, more than just the Jewish people, more than just the nation of Israel. So they kill him for it. They stone him to death. And this is how Luke tells the story of his death in Acts chapter 7, the end of verse chapter 7, beginning of verse 8. He says he's preaching the sermon, and they're, they're acting like, you know, eight-year-olds, I guess. And at this, they cover their ears and are yelling at the top of their voices. They all rush to try to not hear what he's saying. And they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, these phrases Stephen's going to say are going to sound really familiar to you if you remember the story of Jesus' crucifixion and what he prayed on the cross. While they're stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep, which is the New Testament way of saying he died which also should tell us something about how we think about death, but that's not the sermon I'm preaching today. And Saul, Luke tells us, approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution, on the day Stephen died, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, before we go further, I want to explain what we just read because it's really important that we understand the mind of Saul, who would later become Paul. And I'm, I may say both of those names. I'm talking about the same person. Uh, during his time persecuting Christians, 
in the name of God while citing the Bible, right? <clears throat> Saul is, is doing all of these things. He's, he's, he's persecuting Christians, and he believes that he's doing what God wants him to do. He sincerely thinks, as he's doing this, dragging people out of their homes, taking them off to prison, approving of people stoning Stephen. He sincerely thinks that he is somehow performing a holy service of some kind for God by doing these things. And in fact, he, he, Jesus, it's interesting, predicted that what Paul was doing was actually going to happen. You may remember, some of you may remember this phrase, this statement that Jesus once made while he was on earth in John 16. He said this, in fact, the time is coming. I think I have a slide for it if you want to advance that. Next slide. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you, anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in John 16. And I want you to keep this in mind, that as Saul is dragging people out of their homes, as he's approving of Stephen's stoning, it would be easy to read about the things that he's doing and think, this guy is a tyrant. He's, he's out of his mind. He's nuts. But when he is standing there giving his approval of Stephen's execution by stoning, and when he's doing the things that we're going to read about next, he thought that he was doing the right thing. This is what you did, he thought, to people who were speaking out falsely, who were blasphemers, who spoke out in what he believed was incorrectly about God and about God's ways. And, and that backstory, all, I say all of that to really inform what we're going to read next in Acts chapter 9. So let's, let's keep reading. This is what Luke says in Acts 9. Meanwhile, the persecution is still happening, so that's, that's what's being summed up in the word meanwhile. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked, for, he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, another city, so that he could, he, if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is how Christianity was known early on, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The, man, tr the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, as one would do if you heard a voice coming from somewhere and saw light, but you didn't see anything. And he says, they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him by the hand into the city of Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So after Stephen's execution... Saul hears about this Christian movement. It keeps growing, and it's kind of getting out of control. And because Saul thinks it's his job to put these people out of commission, he begins thinking, hey, we, we killed Stephen. He was a pretty outspoken Jesus follower. I mean, if we're going to take one of Jesus' followers, why don't we just take all of them? Let's just take them all out. And so he obtains warrants, arrest warrants from the Sanhedrin, that if he finds any people who belong to this way, that he can arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. And what that means is that's kind of code language for, like these warrants give him authority, religious authority, 
to go and arrest people and to bring them back to Jerusalem where they would stand on trial and they would eventually be executed. And so he starts arresting people and he makes it his personal mission to get rid of people who say things like Stephen had said before. Just picture, I just want you to picture this scene we just read about. Saul, Paul, marching down the road. He's got to have a bit of, of an arrogant stride as he's going down the road, right? He's just received authority from the Sanhedrin to do the thing that he is going to do, to arrest people, throw them in prison, take them back to Jerusalem, eventually put them on trial, and ultimately execute them. I mean, there is nothing in him that is wavering in his determination to do this. He loves God. He's actually doing it because he loves God, which is a whole other thing I'm going to say a little bit about in a minute. He is fill, he's filled with like a holy zeal to defend people, defend the truth of what he thinks is the truth of God against people who are blaspheming. He thinks also that he has the Bible, the Old Testament, on his side to support his behavior. And he is on his way to Damascus to correct this heresy, to get these Christians who are saying that Jesus is the Son of God, to get these Christians who are saying that Jesus is alive and put them in jail and ultimately to kill them. And you know he's walking down the road with such arrogance and confidence, strutting down the road as he's going. And suddenly, boom, out of nowhere, a bright light knocks him to the ground. Saul has this encounter with this bright light, and he hears this voice, and the voice knows his name, which you know has to scare him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's an interesting way to ask the question, don't you think? That when Saul is persecuting human beings... This startup church, Jesus takes it personally. Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And Saul, says, Saul who will become Paul, says, this has this interesting response. Who are you, Lord? He doesn't, he's not saying that to say Jesus is Lord. He just knows this is serious. Something has just happened. I am, I'm, there's a moment of humility that you see in his response. And then Jesus says, he, lets, he, he reveals his identity. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And don't you know at this moment, he thought Jesus was dead, you guys. He thought Jesus was dead. And he is finding out in this moment that Jesus is very much alive, even though he is not sure at this moment what is happening to him. I just want to ask you really quickly, it's kind of a little bit of an aside, just if you'll hang with me for a minute. Have you ever been certain about something? Like certain that you were right about it too? And maybe even so certain about it that you justified your behavior in what you were doing? Maybe even, to go a step further, so certain that you could justify your behavior by showing a Bible verse to support it. And then you have an experience with Jesus that changes your mind. And if you can relate to that at all, and I would guess a lot of us can, then you know exactly what is happening to Saul in this moment. S Saul had spent his entire life up to this point thinking that it was his job to defend God and to keep people in line who he thought were getting out of line. And it turns out God doesn't need him to defend him. 
God doesn't need to be defended. And when this light and this voice show up, everything that he is so certain about immediately comes, becomes questions that he has. It comes cra- his certainty comes crashing down on him. And so he gets up, and he goes into the city of Damascus. But he's been blinded by this light, so he's led by the hand like a little child by his friends that are there with him. Moments before, he was certain about everything, strutting down the road with confidence, maybe even a bit, a touch of arrogance. And now, how does he walk? I need somebody to help me, right? I can't see where I'm going. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. Go into the city, and you'll be told what to do. Wait. And so they, they do. They make their way into Damascus. And for three days, Saul is in darkness. And, and this close to Easter, that, that three days should sound real familiar to us. This is Saul's death, church. Sometimes people call it deconstruction. Right? When you think about God in some particular way, and then you have an experience with God, and everything changes. And the faith that you've built for yourself, the foundation that you've built for yourself begins to crumble because you've built it on the wrong thing. You think something about God or the Bible or about faith, and then some bright light knocks you down. A bright light looks a lot of different ways for all of us. There's a life circumstance that changes your mind about that thing you were so certain about before. There's a death, and you begin to question things that you had never questioned before. There's a diagnosis. There's a struggle, a divorce, something with your kids, your family, your parents, your marriage, your job, your health, your faith, and it leaves you feeling less certain than you were before. It leaves you feeling, we might say, blinded. It leaves you feeling unable to walk on your own, questioning what you believed before. You question God, you question your faith, you're not sure what to do. I've had this experience, I know many of you have had this experience where you're just going along in life and you're not expecting something to just come out of nowhere and smack you upside the head and all of a sudden it does. You, it, came from, it came from nowhere, you weren't looking for it, but it changed everything. The faith that you had constructed before has to be different. The faith that Saul had constructed before had to be torn down in order for something new to be built in its place. And so what does Saul do during these days? He prays, Luke is about to tell us. What does he pray? I mean, is he scared? Maybe, probably. Is he confused? Probably. Thinking that he was right about everything and now he's questioning all sorts of things. He could pray for those reasons. Maybe he's scared or confused. I actually think he prays because he has hit rock bottom. And he is hoping that he will find someone there on the bottom with him. And he does. And his name is Jesus Christ. And the first thing that I want to just highlight that I think we learn from Saul's story is this. That there is resurrection on the other side of whatever it is in life that blinds us and knocks us to the ground. Whatever it is that that breaks down that foundation of certainty that we have built in our lives, those moments that you have. For me, it was 
2017 and a diagnosis with Meniere's disease and everything began to change with my health. And now I'm dealing with something that I never dealt with before and I'm not going to be cured from it. And then in 2020, unexpectedly, COVID comes into the world and we're trying to keep a church together and we're trying to survive this thing. In the middle of all that, my dad dies. And all of a sudden, questions begin to swirl around. Those are just from the last five years. Right? But you could go, I mean, there's, and there's lots of little things, and your, your things are different than my things. But what I have come to believe with all my heart is that there is resurrection on the other side of whatever it is that blinds us or knocks us to the ground. But we will have to get up, and we might have to grab the hand of someone else and be led to a new place. When you are blinded by life and questioning everything, Jesus will meet you there. And it might feel like the end, but it does not have to be the end. And it might involve darkness. It might involve more than three days of darkness. Saul thinks he has just lost everything in this moment. And he is questioning his, you know he's questioning his past behavior, his past decisions. What have I done what is happening, right? And it might, your suffering, my suffering, our blindness, our being knocked to the ground might involve suffering and pain. He's blind after all, but there can still be life ahead. And I believe this is true from my own experience and from the experiences of watching many of you walk your road and your faith. But I also believe it's true because of what happens next. Listen to this in chapter 9, verse, beginning in verse 10. In Damascus. So Paul's now in Damascus. And in Damascus, God's working this other thing on the side. He's got the thing going with Saul, and now he's going to do this other thing. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord told him, go to the, ho to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul for he is praying. That's how I know he was praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I love this next part. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go! This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You leave it there for just a second. Go back really quickly. This is not my sermon, but I can't pass this scripture without saying, if you ever question whether or not Jesus intends to be king of the entire world over all of the human kingdoms, this verse, I think, supports the idea, the belief that I have that God was sending Paul to not only preach to the people, but to their kings, to let them know that there was a king who, was, had, a, who had authority over them. Now we can keep going. It's not the point of the sermon. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop there for just a minute. Jesus appears to Ananias in a vision, calls him him by name as well. He tells him to go find this guy named Saul. And I love the fact that Ananias kind of questions whether he should do it, but he eventually goes. Everybody's heard about him, he said. I've heard about him. God, you've surely heard about him. And God says, go. 
And after, you know, so he enters this house and the laying, lays on his, lays these hands. And I love what he said to Saul in that moment. Did you catch it? He said, brother Saul, brother Saul, Jesus who appeared to you sent me today to you so that you may see again. This disciple of Jesus, Ananias, already understands what Saul is learning, and that is that Saul is his brother. And don't you know, I just, I just imagine that that jolted Saul when Ananias calls him brother Saul. He's, he's, he's got to be thinking, I have been killing these people. I have been walking into their houses and dragging men and women out of their homes to carry them off to jail. And this guy calls me brother. What's really interesting is, did you know that Paul, in the rest of the New Testament writings that he writes, would use the word brother or sister over 130 times, which would be really easy to just read quickly past, I think, and to not notice or think much about that family language that he uses over and over and over again. But I like to think that he uses that language later when he's writing to churches and to Christians all over the known world at that time because it was first used to him by Christians toward him. And everything changed as he began to see that they treated him differently than he expected for them to treat him. Let's keep reading. This is what happens next and at the end of the story. He said, again, Ananias' hands are on him. He's praying. And and Luke says, immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, regained his strength. In that moment, when he is called brother and and hands are laid on him and Ananias is praying, we are told that something like scales fall from his eyes. And, And there are several things to say here about this part of the story. The first thing I want to say is that God could have restored Saul's sight in a lot of different ways, right? We We all understand that. We agree with that. Like, there could have been a lot of ways. There are other ways in Scripture that people have their vision, their sight restored. So God could have done that a lot of ways, but... I I am struck deeply by the fact that he he did it by sending another brother in Christ. So Paul's resurrection, a lot of times we think about Paul's story, his conversion sometimes it's called, of, of mostly happening on that road to Damascus. I would suggest it doesn't entirely happen on that road. It actually doesn't fully happen until Ananias shows up at that house on Straight Street. And lays his hands on brother Saul and prays for him that God might restore his sight. His resurrection story isn't just about that experience on the road. His resurrection story is also about the church and about being a part of the church. And and I think what, what was happening when Ananias called him brother was that he was being reminded of his identity. He thought he was one thing. But he now is a new thing. He's a new person. And Ananias speaks that truth into his life, reminding him of his his identity, reminding him that he was a child of God and that he was loved. And the lesson that I want us to take from this is, is simply this, that our story with God 
must include the church, always includes the church. We get Jesus and the church. And this is what Paul was realizing. He's, getting, he's not only going to embrace Jesus as Lord, but he's now going to be a part of this new community that God is forming. We need other Christians. Like what we're doing here, what church, Christians all over the world right now, this morning, are gathering to do is not a social club or a, you know, a way to fill some time on a weekend, right? Like we all have plenty to do every weekend. What we're doing is called church. And, and it's really not even just what happens here. I would suggest to you that church is actually when we show up in each other's homes, when we meet one another in dark places, when, we're, when, we, when we find brothers and sisters who are living and sitting in, dark, in, in the dark places of their life that all of us experience, and we go and we meet them and we lay hands on one another and we pray for one another. Church is the times when you or I have lost our way, forgotten who we were, And someone comes to us and calls us brother or sister to remind us of our identity. And Because what happens is through Ananias and the Christians that are already there in Damascus, as this message of Jesus continues to spread, Saul sees that God is a God of love. He begins to see the value of other people. He sees that love truly is the greatest command, that love is everything. He understands now that Jesus never treated, as he's thinking about what he knows about Jesus, that Jesus never treated anybody less than or viewed them as somehow defined by their situation, but Jesus loved them. Years later, we know that Saul would would think this because years later, these words were the words that he would write to the church in Corinth. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And now these three remain, he says, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I can't help but wonder and imagine that as Paul is writing this years later to the church in Corinth, That he's thinking back to some of his earliest experiences with God and the God of love that he experienced through people like Ananias. And that moment when Ananias called him Brother Saul after all that he had done to the church. Because I think it's this moment that where, where Ananias is in that house praying for him that helps him see clearly that the greatest of these is love. In that moment that he sees that God loves the world, that that love, church, is greater than your doctrine, your set of beliefs, that love is greater than a a head full of Bible knowledge, because Paul had more of that than any of us, that love is greater than being right about everything, because Paul thought he was right about everything, that love has the power to change us. The love that God has for you and that you have for God, it's the most important thing. And the love that we have for the world that God created. This is the resurrection of Paul. He has experienced three days of darkness and now his eyes have been opened. And he knows now that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is Lord. And so what does he do after his eyes are opened? He gets up and he's baptized. 
Baptism is this way that we participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he knew in that moment he needed to participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus because he's just gone through a death and resurrection experience in his life. It's the way that we experience new life in Jesus and we commit ourselves to him. So he's baptized and he shares a meal with this, uh, this, his first meal of his new life with a man that he would have killed just a few days before. Praise God. Everything has changed for him. And I would suggest to you this morning that what Jesus did for Saul, Jesus wants to do for each and every one of us. For some of us, our journey with Jesus is new. And for some of us, we've been journeying with the Lord for a long while. But that really doesn't even matter. Because regardless of where we are in our journey or how long you've been walking with Jesus, we all need to know that in our lowest moments, resurrection is on the other side. We all need to remember that our story with God includes the church. That No follower of Jesus has ever followed for long without a body of believers walking alongside them. And we all need to have scales that fall from our eyes. Change that needs to happen in our lives so that we can see clearly, so that we can have the eyes and the heart that are opened to see ourselves as Jesus sees us and to see people how Jesus sees them. And so that we can come to believe that love is the most important thing. So, brothers and sisters, you are God's beloved child. God delights in you. And God will never leave you or forsake you. And my prayer this morning is that this truth will help you, like Saul, regain your strength today as you head into a new week. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for stories like this that remind us of our need for you and of our need for one another. We're thankful, Father, that you do not give up, that you continue to work in the midst of the darkness to bring about life. And I pray this morning, Father, for those of us that are here, those of us that are watching online, that we will hear these words and believe that they are true for us as well, that what you did for Saul you want to do for the whole world. You want to do for each and every person in the world to help our eyes to be open, our hearts to be receptive to what it is that you want to do in us. We pray, I I suspect that all of us pray that it doesn't take a bright light and a voice from heaven to get our attention, but that you'll continue to be patient with us as you draw us closer to your heart. Help us to listen to what it is that you want us to hear and to do what it is you want us to do. I pray for each, to, each one here this morning to be encouraged, to be strengthened in this sto- from this story, knowing <clears throat> that you are at work and that you intend to continue to do the, do the work of resurrection for us. We pray uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing another song and encourage you to uh, express your heart to God. If you have prayer requests that you want to share, please Uh, Share those, send those in, and we would love to pray with you uh, this morning as we uh, prepare to wrap up our time together.